So our scripture passage today is Matthew. We are in chapter 20 now. Jumped a chapter from last time. But we're gonna turn to Matthew 20 and we're gonna read the first 16 verses, I believe. First 16 verses. Actually, you know, since I comment on it in the sermon, let's just start at uh, chapter 19, verse 30, which is the final verse of chapter 19, and it's also repeated at the end of our text. So um, this isn't gonna be on the screens, but we're gonna start the last verse of chapter 19. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then into chapter 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who, came, who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, just like last week, this week we come to a parable that was kind of spurred on in response to another question that was asked of, the apostle, or of Jesus from the apostle Peter. At the beginning of chapter 19, he asked, Lord, you know, we have left everything and followed you. Will there be a reward for us? Now, apparently, as Jesus taught his inner circle about the kingdom of heaven and the blessings that they could anticipate in their service of the kingdom of heaven, they were a little bit confused about the nature and also the timing of these blessings. 
So Jesus begins to answer the question in chapter 19, which, as we saw, ends with the cryptic statement, but many who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. It is this statement that the parable of the workers in the vineyard is designed to explain, okay? So, just to recap, the landowner goes out early in the morning, about 6 a.m., He finds some people who are willing to work and agrees to pay them a denarius to work the day in his vineyard. Now, nothing out of the ordinary here. A denarius was a silver coin and would have been a standard day wage for a soldier or a day laborer during the time of Jesus. So the landowner does this, but then the landowner goes out three more times of the, over the course of the day. He goes out at nine, he goes out at three, and he goes out at five. And he found unemployed people standing in the marketplace, and he said, you also go and work in my vineyard. But notice what he says to them about wages or the reward that they could expect. He says, I will pay you whatever is right. To the first group, he had said, I will give you an appropriate day wage, which was a denarius. To the groups who came later, he said, I will pay you whatever is right. And when the time for wages to be paid at the end of the day comes, something very strange happens. Two things, actually. He tells his foreman to pay first those who came latest in the day to work, those who had only worked an hour. He does this intentionally in the presence of those who had worked for him all day, which is very important to the point that Jesus wants to make in this story. But we have to agree, it's strange and it's unexpected. From an earthly perspective, we would expect those who had been there all day from the very beginning to be paid first and those who had come later to be paid last. In this, Jesus implies that the way God sees wages and blessings is different. It's different from the way we typically view what we feel as though we have earned in the marketplace, in in this life. It's also strange, and this is the more obvious one, strange and unexpected, that all of the workers, no matter when in the day they came to work, are paid the same wage. Those who worked nine hours are paid the same as those who had worked 12 hours. Those who had worked three hours are paid the same as those who had worked 12 hours. Those who worked one hour are paid the same as those who had worked 12 hours. That is not only strange, that is outrageous. And we can understand why this provokes some angry reactions, can't we? Especially from the group of laborers that had been working since 6 a.m. Well, immediately we are told that they grumbled and they confront the landowner in verse 12. They say, These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. So their reaction is precisely what Jesus uses to make his point to the disciples and uh, extended to us. 
He wants us to focus on their attitude and understand by a negative example what kind of attitude we must not have toward our Heavenly Father. Now, there's actually three particular sins that are evident in the attitude of the people who had worked all day, the people who had worked 12 hours. First, they were obviously going about their work with a transactional spirit. It's no mistake that of the four different groups of day laborers, only the first group came to the specific agreements that they be paid one denarius. The other groups had to work based on faith and trust in the landowner's kind of ambiguous promise, I will pay you whatever is right. Do you see that? The first group had certain expectations that that the landowner had to live up to. They did not necessarily work in their vocation with joy and gratitude as is pleasing to the Lord. They did their work with a strictly transactional spirit. Now this example represents people who are suspicious that God might shortchange them in some way. And we all know people like that. People who feel entitled to certain blessings, but who at the same time think God is trying to withhold something that he owes them. The second sin evident in the attitude of the 12-hour laborers is their failure to recognize the sovereign rights of the landowner. I mean, look, it's very obvious in the parable that they had not that, that the landowner had not broken contract with them. He gave them exactly what they had all agreed upon at the start of the day. He simply decided to be over-the-top generous with those who came later. But the first group did not recognize his right to do that. They appealed to their own sense of justice and said, hey, that's not fair. You can't do that. And his response is actually what corrects their thinking, whether they liked it or not. He said, yes, I can. If I choose to be generous, it all belongs to me in the first place. Who are you to tell me what I can or cannot do with what belongs to me? The third sin evident in their attitude is, and it's mentioned in the last verses of the passage, envy of the other workers. I want you to understand that envy goes beyond simply wanting what someone else has. It's wanting what someone else has and not wanting them to have it. The attitude of the 12-hour laborers is a lot like the attitude of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember when the father generously and graciously receives the younger son after he had been away, taken his inheritance, squandered it, and came back? You remember, you remember the gracious and generous reception? And do you remember the attitude of the older brother when he witnessed this wonderful reception of the wayward son? It was, first of all, an attitude of envy toward his younger brother. Dad never did that for me. He never threw a feast for me. He never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. He never put the the ring on my finger. 
envy toward his brother, which very quickly led toward bitterness to his father as well. Because somehow, the father had withheld from the older brother something that he felt like he deserved. Brothers and sisters, that is the attitude that Jesus does not want us to have toward our heavenly father. And yet, believers have struggled since the Garden of Eden with this suspicion that maybe God is trying to withhold something from us, that maybe God doesn't have our best interests at heart, that maybe God is just looking for a way to punish us in some way. Well, Jesus confronts you here this morning And Jesus says that this attitude is not right. It's based on lies. This will lead you on a path of bitterness, which ultimately might very well lead to your destruction. We should not relate to God in a transactional, if I do this, you have to do that for me type of way. God desires a better relationship with us than that. God proves that he wants a better relationship with us, and he proves it by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to make that relationship available to us, to make that relationship possible to us. And I hope that we all know that deep down. Because that said, even for mature believers, this kind of dangerous transactional attitude can sneak up on us sometimes. The most common example is trying to earn God's favor by being good. Now understand that that is much different from a a sincere and spiritual desire to please God. Now, a desire to please God through obedience and good works, I would say that that is a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. But the idea that you somehow have to earn God's love, that is completely false. Even so, Christians make those arguments all the time. Lord, I will be obedient in this area, but I expect to be rewarded in this way. And then, what happens when it plays out differently? It's all God's fault for not honoring the deal that I made with him. Jesus is saying, this is not the way to relate to God the Father. A, A works for wages way of relating to God is not how he set things up in the first place. So that's one danger. There's another way that we can slip into this dangerous attitude as well. We can be bitter and unhappy about the blessings that God gives to others but withholds from us. This is is the really tough one. We look at someone who's less educated than we are and they receive some kind of recognition or, or position that we might have wanted. We look at someone who's less talented than we are and they receive some honor that we would have liked to have for ourselves. 
We allow anger and bitterness to cloud our minds and our judgment. We say, Lord, how could you? I deserve that so much more than they do. We bring charges against God, that he has shortchanged us in some way. He hasn't given us what he owes us. And Jesus is saying, don't relate to the heavenly father that way because ultimately, here's the reality. He owes you nothing. He owes you nothing. Even those things that he promises to you and therefore that you can genuinely expect from him, you have not merited and you have not earned. God, in his grace, has given you everything even though he owes you nothing. And if you relate to him as though he owes you something, you have misunderstood the relationship and you have misunderstood the reality. And so let me ask you this morning, do you think that God owes you? Do you find that spirit rising up within you sometimes? Well, this passage is a call for you to re-examine your relationship with God and to recognize that every gift he gives you is a gift of grace and that he has your best interests at heart in an ultimate sense, in an eternal sense. It's also a call for you to understand that the gifts of grace, the blessings that he gives to your neighbor, who maybe very well is uh, less educated and less talented than you are, the gracious blessings that he gives to them are for their greatest good in an ultimate sense and in an eternal sense. Can you be satisfied with that? Every gift that he gives is a gift of grace. That's an important thing that I want you to see today. In verses 13 to 15, Jesus tells us how the landowner responds to the laborer's complaints. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? This parable teaches us about God's sovereignty, his justice, his generosity. Also, that his rewards to us are rewards of grace. In other words, God's rewards to us are not things that we have strictly earned. Even, as I mentioned before, those things that God promises us in his word. Even those things that we confidently ask for, as we did a few minutes ago in the Lord's Prayer, those are things that we have not earned in any way. They are promises which overflow from his bountiful grace they are things that he truly desires to give to his children. Not things that we need to coax out of him based on our meager attempts at obedience. Every good gift from the heavenly father is a gift of grace. And when it comes to the disgruntled laborers who received exactly what was agreed upon, their only ground of complaint against the landowner is that he had been too generous with the other workers. 
Likewise, you and I can only accuse God of one thing, really. Being too generous with people who haven't worked as long or as hard as we have based on our own perception of things. Or uh, maybe I'll put it differently, being too generous with people who came to faith later than we did. We cannot accuse him of injustice. We cannot accuse him of doing something with resources that do not belong to him. We cannot accuse him of giving blessings that he does not have control over. We can only accuse him of being too generous. And that last point is precisely what Jesus is reminding us of in this parable, that all the rewards of the kingdom are rewards of grace. They are rewards flowing from God's generosity. They are not ours by right. Brothers and sisters, we must recognize God's sovereignty and his blessing. We must recognize his justice and his grace in dealing with us, or we too can become envious and bitter. We will fall into the trap of thinking that God is giving things to other people that they don't deserve, which is actually true. That they haven't earned, which is actually true. And that he is being unfair to us, which is completely untrue. Because salvation and the gifts that accompany it are entirely a matter of God's grace. God is free to do what he will with that which belongs to him, which is pretty much everything. As we close up this morning, I want you to imagine for a moment someone standing at the foot of the cross, perhaps one of the disciples, hearing that conversation between, between Jesus and the repentant thief, and hearing Jesus' words to that thief. Remember what he said? Today you will be with me in paradise. And imagine the disciple thinking, well, that's not right. Jesus, I've been with you through thick and thin for over three years. This guy, you have only known for three hours and you promise him heaven? That doesn't seem fair. Well, you're right. It's not fair. It's definitely not fair. It's grace. God, in his goodness and love, decides to grant it. And let us remember that the picture of what God does for the thief in that situation at the cross of Calvary is a truly accurate representation of what he has done for us in and through that same act of dying on the cross. Because no matter how much we think we have earned, we haven't. Everything that God has given us is a gift of grace. And if we think we've earned it, we inevitably will become bitter and shriveled people, mad at the world and mad at God. On the other hand, if we recognize and realize that everything we deserve is judgment and punishment, then everything we do receive becomes rightly understood as a gift of grace. Thank God 
we will never get what we deserve in this life. Because if we got what we deserved, even as believers, it would be eternal separation from God, which is the only thing that we have truly earned on account of our sin. Everything that we are given comes from God's love, comes from God's grace. And this shift in attitude, this shift in worldview that we need to work on every single day is fundamental to being a follower of Jesus. And thanks be to God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can manage it. Amen. Let's pray.